0: Well, good morning again, and happy Father's Day. Um, as you know, I've got a son in college, and Caitlin is going to begin college in just a matter of weeks. And I came across this letter that a college kid wrote to his father um, while in college. And you'll, you'll notice a script up here on the, on the um, overhead, but I want to read to you this letter. Dear Dad, school is really great. I am making lots of friends and studying very hard. With all my stuff, I simply can't think of anything I need. So if you would like, you can just send me a card, as I would love to hear from you. Love, your son. Did you notice all the dollar signs where the S's should be? Notice the father's reply. Dear son, I know that astronomy, economics, and oceanography are enough to keep even an honor student busy do not forget that the pursuit of knowledge is a noble task and you can never study enough dad one little boy was asked to explain what makes father's day different than mother's day and he said it's just like mother's day only you don't spend as much on the on the on the gift I think all, that's right, but I think all of us can relate to that. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 9. This morning we're continuing our our Genesis study in the beginning God, and as we've done each week, let's read Genesis 1-1 together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When we think about a father, I think all of us know what a good father looks like. When I think about um, one of the greatest fathers in Scripture, I think about Noah, who we are currently studying right now. Noah is a man who walked with God and found favor in the eyes of God and would be rewarded by God. May that be said of every man, woman, student, and child in this room. May all of us find favor in the eyes of God. This morning, there's a lot to unpack. What we're going to look at this morning is we're going to look at God's blessing. We're going to look at God's covenant. And we're also going to look at Noah's imperfection. And what we're going to see this morning is that our champion of the faith was not perfect. But we also are going to be reminded this morning that our God is a God of second chances. It's take 2 of human civilization. So notice our first point this morning, God's blessing upon Noah. In verse 1 we read and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth." Does that passage of scripture sound familiar? It should because in Genesis chapter one, verse twenty-eight, the Lord spoke these words to Adam and Eve, and God blessed them, and God said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it." Like Genesis nine, Genesis like Genesis one, Genesis nine is a command, a command to multiply. I think all of us have been um, understand the weightiness of that command, right? Noah and his family had just witnessed God destroy all of humanity because of their sin. And now God is beginning anew. And he is telling Noah and his family that they are going to be the parents of all living. I wonder what went through their mind when they heard those words. I wonder if their initial reaction was one of fear or excitement. Think back to when You got that news that you were either pregnant or that you were going to become a father. What emotions began to run um, through your system? What began running through your mind? I remember when we found out that Danny was pregnant. Man, I was both excited, but I also was scared to death. Man, um, before Connor was born, I thought things like, man, what if I drop him? What if I break him? What if I'm a disappointment as a father? What if I fail to raise him to follow after the Lord? A couple years later, we find out that Caitlin um, was coming, and my reaction come child two was a little different, but it was still one of of, of fear, um, especially after I found out we're going to have a girl. Man, girls are just different, aren't they? You know, I grew up hearing that, man, girls are, you know, made up of sugar and spice and everything nice. Um, but Caitlin definitely has some spice in her, if you know her. Um, man, you look at her the wrong way, man, and she's going to come right after you. Um, I love my daughter, but, but girls are just different. When Noah and his family exited the ark, there, there were eight of them and God's command commands those eight to be fruitful and multiply. Not only does God command man to multiply but tells him to have dominion over all living. Notice our second point, our subpoint, man's dominion. We read in verses 2 through 4, "The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth." Then upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand, they're delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And I gave you the green plants. I give you everything, but you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is its blood. So reaching back to the garden of Eden, do you remember the animals and man? Man, they coexisted together in the garden, right? Now we see that God is telling Noah that those very animals that once coexisted together, man, they were pets in some sense of the word. Now they were going to live in fear of man. And not only would they live in fear of man, that they would also become part of our diet. Man, we at this point in human history were told that it's okay to eat lamb chops, man, it's okay to eat some prime rib. It's okay to eat steak and chicken and brisket. Some of you, man, you're going to go home and you're going to barbecue this afternoon. You know, right here in scripture, this is where you're given permission to do that very thing. There is one instruction given by the Lord though here. The blood from those animals had to be poured out before that animal could be eaten. And you may ask, well, why is that? Well, we read in Deuteronomy as well as in Leviticus. Notice Leviticus 17. Notice these words um, of, of warning. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. The blood is the source of life, and it would be the blood from those animals that would be poured out that would actually provide a covering for man's sin. In the enduring word commentary, we read, blood was a sign of God's mercy towards Israel at the first Passover. Blood sealed God's covenant with Israel. Blood sanctified the altar. Blood set aside the priest. Fast forward through the pages of the New Testament into the New Testament Scripture, we see that the blood of Jesus sealed the new covenant. The blood of Jesus justifies us. The blood of Jesus brings redemption. The blood of Jesus covers us. In Hebrews 9.22 we read, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. By the blood of Jesus, you and I are saved. Isn't that good news this morning? The blood of Jesus provided a covering for us. When Jesus looks at us, when God the Father looks at us, he does not see a sinful, wretched being. He sees someone who has been washed in the blood of the lamb. God would give man dominion over the the animal kingdom. But we will see next that he would not grant equal authority over humanity. So we see here that God declares man's punishment. In verses 5 and 7 we read, And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man." From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. You know, the penalty for murder is laid out here in Scripture, isn't it? It is death for death. The foundation of civil government is established right here in this passage of Scripture. God is the judge, but he would give man the ability to enforce judgment against those that break the law. We live in a world where many do not value life. Many do not value life in the womb and abort or in our pro-choice. Many do not value life outside of the womb and commit murder. The killing of the innocent is happening way, way too frequently in our society today. It's happening on our streets, in our school, at our places of business, within our homes, and even within our churches. Until justice is served, until biblical justice is served... We will continue to see the shedding of life at the hands of those that do not value life. Remember, in this passage of Scripture, it is death for death was what God said. Notice our next point this morning. It is this. God's covenant with Noah. Let's read verses 8 through 17 together. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, And God said, this is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I've set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. This is the first time in scripture that we come across this word covenant. This word means a promise or a binding agreement. God's covenant is one of promise. Notice the emphasis placed on this covenant. Moses writes, behold, I I establish my covenant with you. This covenant was established by God and is an unconditional covenant, meaning there is nothing you and I could do that would ever cause the Lord again to destroy the entire world with the flood again. Now we know there is coming a day when both the heavens and the earth will be made new. But that day will not occur until after the rapture and until after the day of judgment. In Second Peter chapter 3, we read, But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up by fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. There is coming a day when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Next, we see that God's covenant was sealed with the sign. What was the sign that the Lord placed in the sky? It was a rainbow, right? It was a bow, and it was a reminder to Noah and to all of humanity that he would not destroy the world with the flood again. So God gifted us with a rainbow as a reminder of his covenant promise. It not only serves as our reminder, but it's also a reminder to God when he sees that rainbow that he's not going to destroy the earth again. During Easter one of our church members, um, after I think it was a week after Easter, sent me a text, and and he he said um, that he was talking with some visitors out in the foyer of the church, and and those visitors said, you know, those colors remind us of the rainbow flag and all that comes with it, and. Um, they weren't the only ones. I had someone else in the church to come up to me and say that. And just this past Sunday, um, somebody said, you know what all these colors remind, remind me of? It reminds me of, um, of, of Pride Month. Isn't it sad that when you and I see a rainbow or bright decorative colors, it looks like we're supporting the LGBTQ, TZ, XYZ, ABC, whatever else goes at the back of that. In 1978, the rainbow became a symbol for the gay community. In a short period of time, it has become more recognized as a symbol for pride instead of a symbol of promise. Let us never forget the rainbow is a reminder that the Lord is not going to destroy the world again because of man's grotesque sins. What we are seeing more and more is the normalization of sexual sins. Even in our schools, in some school districts, they begin as early as kindergarten or even before teaching kids that this is normal. They bring in these drag queens for story time. Just messed up is what it is. If they can make our kids believe and your grandkids believe this is normal then in a decade or so, guess what? Those kids are going to think it is normal. And we know it's working, isn't it? In the new Disney movie Lightyear, there is a same-sex kiss within that animated movie. Chris Evans, who plays Buzz Lightyear, ridiculed this week those who are outraged over its inclusion of a same-sex kiss, calling us, who are against this, idiots, idiots, And he said, we are poised to die off like the dinosaurs. You know, we are not to be people of hate, but we cannot support what God's word prohibits. Don't forget, the rainbow is a sign of promise first. Within our next section of scripture, we are going to see our champion of the faith get caught up in his own sin. So notice the sin of Noah. In verses 18 through 29, we read, The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, "'Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers.'" He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Jepheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. What do you and I gain from these verses? No one is perfect there is not a single man, woman, student, or child that is perfect. No father or mother or son or daughter. Every single one of us make mistakes, and every single one of us will make mistakes. This passage should serve as a warning to all of us. First notice, there are consequences to drunkenness. The Bible is very clear when it comes to drunkenness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we read, Or do you not know what the unrighteous, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In Ephesians chapter 5, we read, And do not get drunk with wine, for this is a debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. In Romans 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sin and sensuality, consumption and jealousy. Noah's sin was not the consumption of the wine but it was the abuse of it. Noah's drunkenness led to shame or irreversible things. We've known people that have abused alcohol, and that alcohol affected the innocent. It has destroyed marriages and lives and jobs and people's futures. God's Word explicitly prohibits drunkenness, doesn't it? Noah's drunkenness would lead to his nakedness. Sometimes smart, godly people do dumb things that lead to extreme consequences. What I love about God's Word is that it never hides the sins of the faithful, right? I mean, think about Adam and Eve. Man, they ate from the forbidden tree. Noah got drunk. Scripture tells us that Abraham lied. Sarah laughed at God. Moses took credit for God's miracle. Rahab was a prostitute. Samson abandoned his Nazarene vow. David had an affair and had the husband of the wife that he had the affair with murdered. Peter denied knowing Jesus. Paul, before Christ, was a persecutor, a blasphemer. And we know that he approved of Stephen's murder. Noah's sin led to a moment of shame for him, but the consequences of his sin would affect more than just himself. Notice our next point: believers do not exploit the sin of others. In verse twenty-two, again we read: "And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers, uh, or, and, and told his two brothers outside." When you read this verse, what comes to your mind? For many, it may be, what's the big deal? A kid saw his dad naked. Why is that so shameful? Our society exploits nakedness all the time. That's why you and I don't see anything wrong with this scripture. We see this in storefront windows. We see it on the beach. We see it in magazines or on billboards, at the pool, throughout the internet, on TV. Man, there's a TV show Never watched it, but I've seen the commercials for it. Naked and afraid. You know, I mean, exploiting nakedness. Just because our society has normalized nakedness, that does not mean it is okay. Let's look for a moment uh, at Ham. What did Ham do? He exploited his father. He not only looked upon his father's nakedness, but he exploited it. A good son would never have done that. A good son would have covered his father up and then went on about his daily activities and never brought it up again. He should have respected his father, but instead he made a mockery of him. Folks, you and I need to learn something here. Every day all around us, we know that Christian brothers and sisters are caught in the act of sinning. As brothers and sisters... We are not to exploit their sins, are we? But we are to do what the Bible tells us to do, though. Notice what we read in Galatians chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you are a spiritual, should restore him in his spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gives us these instructions. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So what are we supposed to do when we notice a sin of a brother or a sister? and we're to go to them, we're to confront them, we're to walk with them through their sin, help them um, seek forgiveness and restoration. If that doesn't work, then we take someone else with us, a couple of people with us, to help in that process. If that doesn't work, then we're told here in Scripture by the Lord Jesus Christ that we're to bring them to the church, and the church then is to, um, is to be the, the, the source of discipline. We also see here in this passage of scripture, and we'll close here, judgment against Canaan. In verses 24 and 25, we read, "When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, "Curse be Canaan. A servant of servants shall be to his. he shall be to his brothers." You know, to me, this right here is, is a real head scratcher. Um, what did Canaan do? Scripture doesn't tell us he did anything wrong. He was not the one that exposed the sinfulness of his grandfather. In fact, we are not told that he was anywhere near the scene of the crime. Yet Noah would punish him for the sin of his father. You know, we don't know what he did wrong. But it could be that Noah saw in Canaan a heart that resembled Ham. And that is why he was cursed. You know, we all need to remember Our sins affect other people. As fathers, as men, let us not be like Noah, who experienced this moment of weakness. Let's be like the Noah we read about and studied about before the flood, a man who was righteous, a man who was blameless, a man who walked with God and found favor in the eyes of God. Here's what we know. There's going to be times that we're going to be the pre-flood Noah and there's going to be time, men, when we're going to be the post-flood Noah. When we become that post-flood Noah and mess up and make mistakes, let's turn to the Lord and ask the Lord to forgive us immediately. And you know what God's word says that he'll do? He'll restore us right there on the spot and make us new again. As we close this morning, Let's remember that God is a God of second chances. God is a God of second chances. Noah would go on to live to, be, live to be 950 years old. Man, he would live an additional 350 years post-flood. I'm sure he made other mistakes, but I'm also sure that he did a lot of things that were right in the eyes of God. In the end, We know and read in Scripture that Noah did make mistakes, but we also read in Hebrews chapter 11 that he is listed amongst those great faith champions as having been righteous in the eyes of God. Fathers and mothers, what will you be remembered for? My prayer for all of us is this, that we will be remembered as men and women who love the Lord and were committed to making the Lord known. If you're here this morning, you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to come this morning and make the greatest decision that you could ever make. I want to invite you to come, to repent of your sins, and to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And Scripture is clear that if you do that, if you repent of your sins, if you cry out to Jesus, be Lord and Savior of your life, Scripture tells us that, that, that we will be saved. If you're not saved this morning, I want to invite you to come. Let's stand together, and I want to lead us in a time of prayer. Father God, we come before you this morning. Father, recognizing in Scripture, Father, that that every man and woman within the page of Scripture, they all had flaws. They all made mistakes. And Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for, for... emphasizing the great moments within these men and women's lives. And we also thank you, Father, for revealing to us in Scripture that those very faith champions also made mistakes. Some of those mistakes, Father, we see to be as catastrophic mistakes. But, Father, we know that you are a God of second chances. We know that you are a God, Lord Jesus, that will forgive us regardless of the mistakes that we have made. Father, we thank you for for Noah. We thank you that he was a man that walked with you. We thank you that at the end of his life, even generations later, he was written down in scripture as being a man of faith. Father, I pray that every one of us in this room will be declared by those that know us and those that have known us and loved us that we were men and women that walked with you. Most importantly, Lord Jesus, we pray that you will see in us righteous men and women that have been covered in the blood of Jesus and set free from the curse of sin and the penalty of sin and and been given a new life, an eternal life. Father, I pray now during this time of invitation, if there is someone here that does not have a relationship with you, that today will be the day of their salvation. First in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're here this morning you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to come. You come.